I guess I'm kind of freaking out. This day started off really unusual. When I was at work today, a bunch of people just started asking me about the podcast. Before I knew it, I had this huge audience taking an interest. This is James Madonna. You are listening to Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast. When's the last time you were curious about something? I mean, really curious about something. We've been identifying that woman, but today we did get our first look at her face. The police are hoping someone can help them find her family. Take a look at this video. You see the sketch of the woman the police gave us just a short time ago. We're told she's about 50 years old, curly gray hair, and a full set of teeth. Now, her head was found 10 days ago in some woods just off Mason Road. This podcast is made possible by the Social Voice Project. Tony Lavorna's Legends and Lore podcast explores the history and tales of ghost stories, mysterious crimes, murders, UFOs, witchcraft, and other occult happenings still thriving in the greater Ohio Valley region of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm with a very special gentleman. His name is James Madonna. Now, James has a podcast that he airs as well, just like I air this podcast for you. Now, James Madonna is a very interesting man, ladies and gentlemen, and this is why. In the small town of Economy, Pennsylvania, a few years ago, in 2014, a young boy, not far from a rural road, not more than perhaps, let's say, 10 yards on Mason Road, a young boy comes across something in his path. Was it a ball? No. What it was, in fact, was a severed head from a 50-year-old woman. Now, if that isn't chilling enough, there is a bizarre and strange tale that goes along with this story. Now, our guest today, James Madonna, I believe, sir, you work for the, uh, you, you're an uh, airport engineer, is that correct? Or Actually, um, I'm an aircraft mechanic. So your listeners might think that's strange because I don't have any background in forensics or crime solving or criminology. And that's one of the reasons that I thought I had an interesting perspective on the whole thing because I'm a complete outsider and my curiosity is really what got the best of me and caused me to talk about this case from an angle of the everyman. Because the only thing I have in common with this case is that I lived about a mile away from where it happened and that's it. Now I will tell our listeners at home, James is an extraordinary man, folks. And this is why when you listen to his podcast, Mason Rhodes podcast, and please, I, I ask that you do give it a listen and give it a like. James starts out with one fundamental question. When is the last time you were curious about something? I mean, really curious about something. And I'll tell you, this case will do that to you. It's going to draw you in and make you ask the question, why? What is going on here? 
So go ahead, James, take it away. Tell us your story and what you were able to learn. Well, the first thing that I can tell you with regards to my proximity to where this severed head, and uh, she's been called Jane Doe. So from henceforth, I will be referring to our mystery woman as Jane Doe. Um, it was on December 12th that I started hearing the news reports that so close to my home, there was this police command center set up by Beaver County crisis response team. I'm not sure how they would describe themselves, but they were occupying Old Economy Park, which is uh, a county park because they found a head. Not something you find every day now, is it, folks? <laughs> no, no. And, uh, you know, I thought, well, why why wouldn't I go up and and drive through the park right now and just see what the hell is going on? You know, and when I got there, it looked it, the only other thing that I've ever seen like it was remember during the O.J. Simpson case, everyone was camped out on his street during the trial, just hoping to get a glimpse of anyone associated with the case. Well, that's what it looked like in Old Economy Park. News trucks with the big telescoping antennas going up, RVs, the mobile command centers from the county, from several police departments. It, w it was something like a quarter of a mile down the road where Mason Road actually is, which is just, it's really, uh, it's a way to get somewhere else. Mason Road isn't any kind of a major thoroughfare. It helps you get between one major road and another. But when I passed that area, you could see they had a grid system set up with yellow tape or yellow rope, and there were people just you know, combing the area. Um, and I assumed at that point they were looking for any other pieces of the body or, or clues, you know. You got to picture this in your mind, ladies and gentlemen. You're in a small community. Economy is not big. It's a small town. It's quiet. Now you have what looks to be a major police scene investigation going on. Because this little boy finds this head. The victim, the head, its mouth was open. And where the eyes were supposed to be, that were closed when they opened them, they found two red balls that had replaced the eyes. The type of red ball or rubber ball you would find in a child's toy, like the old ball and paddle. This place had a very low crime rate. I believe the statistics were maybe one incident in as many as 10 years. So to have something so heinous, it was quite out of the ordinary, was it not, James? Yes, and uh, there was a loss of life that was considered to be part of a domestic disturbance sometime within the past 10 years. Didn't appear to have any relation at all to what happened with, with this uh, Jane Doe body part found in the in the pasture but other than that yeah economy borough is a bedroom community which means that so you work somewhere else and you come back to the economy to live so when you think about the population you know uh, you don't have a lot of people coming and going out of economy borough that that aren't permanent residents there's no reason for you to be there really unless you live there 
I'm now going to switch our attention a moment to, to the head again in itself. Uh, Michelle Vitali, she believed as a forensic uh, examiner uh, that the uh, the body or the victim, the head was uh, dis- dismembered professionally. Now, this again raises eyebrows probably from the sense of law enforcement because again, now we have somebody who may have had some type of uh, surgical skill uh, who did this as opposed to maybe out of a case of jealousy or rage, but we do not know, of course. Uh, it's Cyril Wecht, uh, one of the most well-known forensic examiners, uh, probably over 30, 40, oh, I don't know how many years of experience. He was quoted as saying, we see a rather neat surgical dissection. So, so what do you make of something like that, James? What, what do you think? Yeah, the interesting thing about that particular theory, and it's, it's just one of the theories that have been thrown out there is they didn't really publicize that. You know, the medical community, the forensic community didn't really come out and publicize that until 2017, which was already, you know, almost exactly three years after the head was found, you know, um, and they came out with that information after a, uh, a national news outlet posted all this big expose on what they called body brokers, which is, um, you know, an organization that takes your whole body after you die and they sell off the parts. So you donate your body, they sell off the parts. Well, they separate the components of your body in such a way to preserve them for medical research. And after that big expose came out about body brokers and sort of like bringing their practices to light, um, some of the things that can go wrong in that whole process of body donation, then and only then did the examiners come out and say, yeah, these procedures may have been related to the way the head was separated from Jane Doe's body. But one of the frustrating things for me about that theory is, and this is really the way most of the theories go, is that they all fall apart. <laughs> Let's say someone did have access to um, a head that was from a body broker, that they came about it through legal means or illegal means. Why would they go through all that trouble to leave it laying in the middle of a field in Economy Borough? Why take it there? You know, absolutely. It would make no sense from if you look at it through those eyes. Yes. Did they want it to be found or were they just like going to come back and get it later? And if they were, why put the red rubber balls in the eye sockets at all? Why? You know, there's so many things that make so many theories that make sense fall apart because of the complexity of everything that happened to this woman. You know, yes, it was an embalmed head. You know, that doesn't mean that it was part of a whole body embalming, but most likely the experts tell me that it's very difficult to embalm just the head, although it is possible. And her hair and her uh, her face were, you know, her hair was styled. She was made up as if someone who had recently been through a viewing or was on the way to one, a funeral viewing, but no one can identify Jane Doe. So we don't know that. And the red rubber balls that were used, there were toys. They weren't the standard fare that's used in the embalming industry. There's no record of anyone doing that. 
Right. They would use a professional red, what they call a cap, I believe, a red cap yeah. is what Which they... is like half of a ball, mm-hmm. you know, that simulates the appearance of an eyeball and the eyelid is actually pulled over it. You know, so that's one of the most interesting things about all this is there are so many things about the case that makes any one theory just fall apart. And it just makes you so curious as to why, 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 why? You know, you just keep asking yourself why. So, you know, that's why it's so interesting is you never stop asking why. You know, I don't know even if there is any one answer to what happened to this. Well, the the chief of detectives at the time for Beaver County in the DA office, I think Andrew Gall was the gentleman's name. I believe the um, possible analysis that they conducted from an isotope test also indicated that she was not from Beaver County. Well, they, they indicated that she was from a three or four state area all around uh, the county where she was found, which is economy is like right smack dab in the middle of Beaver County. But yeah, that the isotope test was based on water ingestion. They were able to know from uh, their knowledge of water supplies in the area that she ingested water that was probably from Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, or New York. And they're only partially sure to some lower degree exactly which parts of those states the water originated from. So there's a map uh, with a bunch of dots on it uh, that constitutes an extremely large area. And sometimes the map even like juts out into the the Western Plains, like Idaho, you know, which is probably a one-off, you know, uh, maybe there's a some chemical reason for them to have matched up there. But um, that leaves you with a very, very large area to cover. With that being said, sir, what what is your opinion, though, in accordance with what the police are suggesting that this could be body brokers? My opinion is that, yes, the head was obtained from uh, what we would call a body broker, which one is anybody's guess? because uh, there have been several news outlets that have reported lots of abuse in that area as far as people obtaining body parts legally or in the, you know, uh, in the gray market, slightly illegally. And either they, (laughs) this is just my theory, of course. I think there was a situation where whatever they had the head for, they couldn't have it anymore. And they left it there, hoping to come back for it. So in other words, you're saying you, you think this was a panic. They, they, they dropped it or discarded it there because they were afraid of being in position of it, possession of it? Yes, I believe that it was not dropped, not thrown, didn't roll out of the back of a truck like a lot of people say to me. Ah, oh, it just fell on the back of somebody's truck. It didn't. It was, it was far yeah, enough. We're not talking about a piece of cabbage here falling off of a no. food cart. I mean, this and there's is... two rubber balls that are like barely in the eye sockets. Uh, it was, I believe that it was placed. I believe that, well, I know for a fact you could see it from the road because that young man did. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I believe that the person who left it there wanted to know it was there without having to get out of his vehicle. And perhaps he liked knowing it was there. <laughs> He liked to drive by, and he didn't want to get out and uh, take possession of his, his, you know, Jane Doe's parts without knowing that it was there first. 
So it was put in a specific location. That being said, and this, this part doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Um, something that I did do after they closed the crime scene down, and it was well over a year afterwards. Now, I know exactly where the head was laid to rest when it was found. I did go to the edge of the road in my car, and I threw something that had a similar shape and weight to Jane Doe's head, and I was able to get it to land almost in the exact same spot. That doesn't mean that the head was thrown there. And once again, my theory falls apart about throwing it from the road mm-hmm. because the, the balls uh, that were in the eye sockets would have fallen out. But I don't know, maybe um, the police really haven't told us everything. You know, they tell us more as time goes on. I believe that they are holding things back. This is still an open investigation, everyone. This is still an open investigation, definitely. So there is a certain amount of uh, privacy that uh, the police do need in order to conduct it. And with that being said, I also please ask that any curious listeners who are listening to the podcast today, please do not go down that road trying to find where this took place and such. Please I ask anybody from refrain from doing these things. These are a part of an investigation. It is a serious matter. So we need to treat it that way. Right. And, and I will just uh, agree with you wholeheartedly on that. It is it, not only is the economy of borough, a bedroom community is very private. And there's no real reason uh, for you to be walking around in somebody's pasture or somebody's yard. Uh, and, um, yeah, there's a, a whole lot of new signs on Mason Road asking you to please stay away. Now, I listened to uh, all of your podcasts that were available to me. And I know, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, did, did you bring in a psychic or a, a medium type person to try, try to assist you with, with this case? I did do that. That's one of the fun things about uh, being curious about this case is because I keep asking myself, why, why, why? So I haven't limited myself in how I can answer any of the questions that I have, you know. So um, I decided uh, to try to get the perspective of someone who has some additional abilities, I guess I would say. And, you know, I contacted so many local individuals that were on Facebook or had an ad in the phone book or a website to ask them if they would talk to me about this case. And none of them would, none of them would. Um, I got the feeling that they were a little apprehensive because I identified myself as, as someone who was doing a podcast on this, this case that maybe I was trying to expose them or discredit them in some way, which I totally was not trying to do. So what I ended up doing was uh, there was a young woman that I was in school with I went to high school in Ambridge, and um, she's currently living in Florida. And I just called her up on the phone and asked her, hey, this is the deal. Can you listen to some of these podcasts and let me know what you think? And she was very reluctant to get involved only because she doesn't like to dwell on the negative. But I felt something very valuable that she could add to the discussion. So what she did was, um, in addition to just telling me how she felt about things, which is all part of the Mason Road podcast, she did a tarot card reading and she detailed all of that and actually um, had someone read, you know, the tarot card reading on 
the podcast. And later on, she did visit the area and she went to Mason Road. And um, her opinions uh, didn't change at all as to what she sensed was going on there. But um, yeah, it was very interesting, uh, very fun to do. That is interesting, very. This case is one that is not only unsettling, but perplexing in its very nature. It must be a little disconcerting to live in an area and know that this took place, but not know whether or not there's somebody in that community that may be, in fact, responsible for this. It has to be somewhat unsettling. It is unsettling. And to be honest with you, before I started any of this, I was afraid because they had nobody. They had not named any suspects. Uh, Nobody was coming forward with anything that was panning out. And so I decided that early on that I was going to go to the police before I started talking about this too much more to let them know what I was doing. (laughs) I don't blame you. You don't want to become suspect number one. Yeah, I didn't want to be the guy obsessed with this case. They're looking at you like, hey, this crackpot is following this a little bit closely or something of that nature. Right, right. Yeah. Understandable. Right, I was afraid. Understandable. So I did go in, and uh, although the police chief wouldn't allow me to record our conversation after some, uh, you know, ice breaking and stuff, uh, he did talk to me. He was only able to confirm what I already knew. He he wasn't really able to talk about the parts of the case that they hadn't made public at that point. Um, I did put in a freedom of information request to get more. It was it was denied. Um, yeah. You know, it's very cliche to say this, you know, they say, oh, everyone's a suspect. Well, yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I look at my neighbors. I, when I'm in Walmart in economy, I'm watching the people shopping and I'm just thinking, you know, somebody knows. Mm-hmm. They might not know who did it, but they know something. Or perhaps saw something or heard something. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't that kind of also tear a little bit at the community because you can't help but wonder what went on here in my community, by my home? That's right. Yeah. Anything that heinous and unusual that happens that close to the place you call home is deeply unsettling. It, it, it tears at the fabric of the community, even though we're not talking about it every day. I can guarantee you, everyone who lives on Mason Road, everyone who drives by Mason Road, every time they drive by it, if if they're from this community, they're thinking about it or they're trying not to think about it. Take your pick. Well, James, I'll tell you, this has been enlightening. I wish you personally all the luck in the world in getting some answers. Do be careful out there. I really enjoyed speaking with you today, and uh, we're going to keep an eye on this. So if you gather any information, I'm sure the Legends and Lore podcast here would love to have you on again to do a follow-up case at some time in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. I love talking about this case because it gets me thinking about it more and uh, gets my brain working on you know uh, additional angles that I should be pursuing. Thanks, Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to our guest today, Mr. James Madonna from the Mason Road Podcast. Give it a listen. If you like what you've heard, be sure to like, 
rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. You are listening to a production of the Social Voice Project. Catch up. How they how they catch the creature from the black lagoon with the legend in Laura's episode. Okay. <laughs> Alright, we ready. Oh shit. Tony's famous prayer. Oh shit. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. Here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh okay, wait a minute. Let me grab that. That's the uh 724 494. Yeah. Who's this? You're Tony Lore? What? You're what? What do you want? Hello, this is James. James? Yes. James, this is Tony Lavorna. How are you, my friend? Very well, thank you. Well, my friend, I thought uh, I'd give you a call. Today's the day. Say it again. Today's the day. Perfect. I like that. Did you like that? Oh, wait a minute. I heard like a, a tone. Oh, that was you? You hit that? <laughs> What's that? Perfect. It's cut. <laughs> okay. We got it. Thank you so much. Awesome. I'm excited. This concludes 